Well, you totally threw me. I forgot what I was going to speak on. I, wow. Thank you. Well, uh, Brother Jim asked me if I would say something about my materials. My staff gets on me all the time because I, I don't ever mention them. And um, so I, I will uh, submit to his uh, telling me what to do there. And, uh, but um, I, I, I publish a um, monthly pastoral letter that basically is what I think the Lord's saying to me, and we get good feedback on it. And um, in this particular letter, which uh, is this month's or March's letter, um, I talk about interviewing some Muslims. I was in a meeting in California and spoke to Iranians and Armenians, and we baptized 10 ex-Muslims. And so um, that, that's in this letter, and this is about conversations. And I do a magazine, which I started publishing when New Wine closed down. Um, New Wine, by the way, is on our website, csmpublishing.org. We still get more hits on New Wine than any other one thing. Many of you read New Wine, you recall. And this is a CD called The Power of a Story. It's one of the latest ones I did about how Jesus used stories and how we have a story and how God's helping us write our story. So anyway, and if you would like to receive that monthly uh, ministry letter, pastoral letter, or the magazine, you can sign up back there, and it's free. And it's not a hard sell financially. It's not a recap of my ministry and that sort of thing. So anyway, that's uh, what that's about. And uh, thank you. I'll just put this over here. Pardon? Oh, the book on prayer. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> really, you ought to be up here. Uh, I don't know what I did. I, I, um, no, I wrote the book on prayer. I write for myself. I don't write for the market. I could have actually sold a whole lot more of them if I had not put in a chapter on speaking in tongues. Uh, actually, um, Bill Bright's wife wanted to endorse the book. She just, I don't know if I should say that, but she just couldn't identify with that. But, you know, I, I write for myself and for the Lord, and, um, and I felt God wanted me to write it because I felt we are entering a time where America really needs to pray. We're, we're in a desperate situation. And I felt like we need to learn how to pray effectively. There's a lot of praying amiss, the Scripture says, and so that's what that's about, uh, how to pray more effectively. And um, there are 21 questions and they're answered with a chapter each. How about standing up with me, if you don't mind? Um, how many of you know the, the old chorus, Father, I adore you, lay my life before you? Do you know that? Father, I adore you, lay my life before you, how I Jesus, I adore you. Lay my life before you. How I love you. Spirit, I adore you. 
Spirit, I adore you. Lay my life before you. How I love, how I love you. How I love you. We do love you, Lord. And I pray that we can genuinely, authentically, from the heart, lay our lives before you. And I, I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit, who for many centuries in many places was the ignored one in the Godhead, and who has so often been grieved, that we can honor the Holy Spirit tonight the one who executes your will in the earth. Forgive us of our sins against the Holy Spirit. Forgive us, Lord God, of a failure to know how <clears throat> to honor insensitivity. I pray this evening that you will renew our love affair with God the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. Bless your word to our hearts and glorify your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, I really have enjoyed the, uh, the other speakers. Um, I appreciate the invitation to be here. Uh, I identify with Dr. Koch. Not, uh, not in all the things he knows because I don't know them, but identify with his love for God and his desire to make Timothy's. I really, uh, my life has been about 2 Timothy 2 to my ministry primarily. And uh, I, I, I wish, I don't want to get into my seminary experience. I wish I'd had a better seminary experience. Mine was a cemetery experience, <laughs> but um, but I, I I really really do admire your knowledge of Hebrew because um, without understanding the Hebrew view of scriptures, we we really don't understand the New Testament. And I identified with that. I identified with June. Uh, I was in that meeting with fifteen people. I think I was there. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's rough when there's a pitiful meeting with 15, but I'll tell you, it's rougher when it's a pitiful meeting with a lot more people there because there's more witnesses. But I, I'm glad for the uh, good result that, uh, that you did get and, and testify to. Um, my, my. I, 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 you know, I, I couldn't, if you asked me to think of a story, you know, just somewhere, I, I wouldn't be able to. But when I listen to other people, I get flooded with stories that come to my mind. I'm going to interrupt and say, wait, let me tell this one too, you know. Because, uh, well, you, you, you just, uh, I, didn't, I was in that leg lengthening service too. I, I have some stories about that. Um, I, I do. Uh, I, I do. Uh, I tried to lengthen the leg on an atheist one time, and, and it wouldn't come out. And uh, I didn't know he was an atheist. 
So I asked him, you know, if he knew the Lord. He said, no, he didn't know anything about Jesus. And so I let him Lord and his leg grow out. Anyway, um, and the, I love the old couple stories. My dad used to love to tell a story, and this is one of his, but he said an elderly couple, I won't say, an elderly couple was uh, in the bed, and the old man was about to sleep, and, and his wife said, uh, just in the, in the darkness, she said, you don't love me anymore. And he kind of shook himself and said, yeah, I do. Why do you say that? She said, you, you don't tell me you love me anymore. He said, well, I love you. And uh, he, he started going back to sleep. In a few minutes, she said, uh, you don't hug me anymore. <laughs> so he groaned, rolled over, and he gave her a big hug and rolled back over to his side of the bed. And he was about to sleep again when she said, I know this seems strange, but you used to nibble my ear. <laughs> and he got out of bed. She said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to get my teeth. They're in the bathroom. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I think that's a true story. I believe it is. Elderly man wanted to be reminded of what his wife looked like without those thick glasses, and he pulled them off, and he said, you look better, and she said, you do too. <laughs> I heard a story about a <clears throat> woman was driving through New Mexico, and she saw a Navajo Indian lady walking beside the road, and she stopped and gave her a ride. And the Navajo lady noticed a, a brown bag with a bottle in it, and she said, what's What's in the bag? And she said, uh, it's a bottle of wine I got from my husband. A few minutes, they drove along. The Navajo lady said, good trade. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, I need to quit. <laughs> I'll tell you one more. There was an old couple <laughs> at the bank. They were at the bank, and while they were standing in line at the teller, a bank robber came in, and he was pulled his gun, his red robbed the bank, and his mask fell off. He turned to a guy standing there and said, did you see my face? And the guy said, I did, and he shot him right there. He turned to the elderly lady and said, did you see my face? She said, no, but my husband did. Then, anyway. Well, <laughs> I can't leave with that, because I've got to tell the other side. The, uh, <laughs> the elderly couple was in court, and uh, she had stolen a can of pears, shoplifted. And the judge said, so you stole a can of pears? She said, yeah. He said, yeah. She said, yeah. He said, uh, how many pears were in the can? She said, six. He said, all right, I'll give you six days in jail. And the old man said, judge, can I, can I say something? He said, yeah, you can say something. He said, she stole a can of peas, too. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to quit. Maybe we ought to have the benediction. I don't know. I don't know if I can get it back. I don't know. Anyway. If you turn with me to um, 
Let's go to Second uh, Kings 3, and then I'm going to go to Revelation, the first chapter. Let's see if I can find Second Kings 3. Uh, I... Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't quite know how to approach this. I'm speaking tonight on the kingdom is in the spirit. Um, and of course our text has been Romans 14, 17, which is the theme of the conference. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Dr. Koch has so eloquently reminded us what the context was and that the context was about what it was not, and the criticism that comes when you make the wrong thing the kingdom of God. And uh, I think too often the church has made the kingdom of God about the wrong things. Therefore, we have thousands of denominations and a lot of rancor and bitterness, uh, even within a particular church, because people make their fellowship about the wrong things. And the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. My friend, Ern Baxter, who's with the Lord, and Ern was part of the Lateran Revival Movement and was a Bible teacher for William Branham. Some of you perhaps might remember who he is or was. He was the pioneer healing evangelist uh, in the 40s, and Ern was his Bible teacher. They had hundreds of thousands of people that would come to the meetings and see miracles. Branham had a powerful uh, word of knowledge ministry. The tarmac in uh, South Africa, they had, Ern says, over 200,000 in that meeting. They couldn't meet anywhere but the airport. The only place can handle it. Because the supernatural was inevident and it was being restored perhaps for the first time in a long time for most people who were seeing uh, what God was doing. Brother Baxter was a well-read man uh, as a matter of fact, I have to be careful when I start talking about him. Uh, he, uh, well, I lived in Fort Lauderdale for about 18 months. Um, and uh, he came down and he lived there as well. Um, and uh, I took him through my house. And um, <laughs> I had turned a two-car garage into my office. And I showed him my office, and he said, you have a nice office. He said, uh, you could put your library in here. <clears throat> I said, Ern, my library is in here. <clears throat> <clears throat> anyway, now I have his library, 5,000 books. But uh, Ern was a well-read man and a great student of the Word, and his notes on Romans are ter terrific. Um, but he loved this verse, Romans 14, 17, and he said it isn't just the righteousness that's in the kingdom or the peace that's in the kingdom or the joy that's in the kingdom. He said, uh, I mean, in the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, it's not just the righteousness and the peace and the joy in the Holy Spirit. He said the whole kingdom is in the Holy Spirit. He said the context, uh, you could, you could uh, honestly exegete it by saying the kingdom is in the Spirit. And the righteousness, peace, and joy are in the Spirit. And uh, I believe that to be true for a lot of different reasons, mainly because the Holy Spirit is the revealer of the Son of God. No man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. The Holy Spirit 
is the executive of the Godhead. You can't make too much of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does what's done. Ern used to say, the Father wills it, the Son speaks it, the Spirit does it. And He is the executive of the Godhead on earth, and so the righteousness is applied by the Spirit. The blood of Christ, of course, is in the Spirit. And um, the, the peace comes by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, My peace give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither uh, let it be afraid. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Um, we could go on with this, but I think you understand what I'm saying. It's not our joy, although it's referred to that way. It's really the Lord's joy or the joy of the Spirit that is given to us. It's not our natural peace. It's a peace that's given to us that passes understanding. I want to simply summarize this part, and I, I don't have long messages, but I have very long introductions. And I, I'm just uh, I'm trying to focus on the fact that whatever you want to experience in God is experienced through the Holy Spirit. It's because of what Jesus did. It's because of the Father's goodness and mercy revealed in Christ. But it's applied. It's realized. It's experienced by the Holy We're here because we believe this. We're here because we experienced it. He is the CEO. He is the Godhead executive on earth of all the earthly activity of, of God the Father. Jesus said, <clears throat> I can do nothing of myself. Even the Son of God in all of His glory and righteousness and power did not function in, in His own strength. Um, and he is our model. I have to be careful with this. I wrote a book that I probably will never publish. I did it for my own therapy uh, called Pastor Jesus, If He Did It Our Way. And in the scenario in the book, I had the disciples talking Jesus out of leaving because they needed a strong, charismatic leader like him. And beside, they had only been church members for three and a half years. And so they talked him into staying a little longer. And so he took them on a retreat up in Galilee and selected a board of directors and assigned ministry team assignments to all of them. And I had a lot of fun with it. Mary, of course, was in charge of the intercessors team. Matthew was in charge of the uh, finances and... Um, you know, um, I had Simon Zelotes in charge of donkey parking. We just uh, covered it all. And, um, but, you know, the truth is he didn't. Uh, and I'm not against any of that. Love the church. Jesus is the model. Would you say that with me? Jesus is the model. Now, I don't mean by that that we can imitate Jesus perfectly because we're not, we're, 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 we're not uh, the sinless Son of God. He's unique. But He is the pattern in all things. If you want to know if a thing is right or not, just ask yourself, how did Jesus apply it? What did He say about it? What did He do? And so 
uh, he is the model of the kingdom. The kingdom is in the king. And kingdoms reflect the king. And what a king is sovereign. He has that power. And he is the word of God. He's the word of the Father made flesh. Relying totally on the Holy Spirit. Not the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Not a creedal statement about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit himself. He was born of. Anointed by. Filled with. Led by. The Holy Spirit. From the outset, you don't have anything much recorded of him until he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and I, I realize, you know, we do have his birth and we do have the, uh, the episode when he was 12 years old. And I'm sure he was an exceptional child. But something happened when the Holy Spirit came upon him. In Luke 21, 22, when he was baptized, I would that everyone who is baptized had an anointing of the Holy Spirit when they're baptized. Um, anyway, <coughs> excuse me, he was immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. I, I'm tempted to talk about wilderness experience, but uh, that's not our subject. But I will say this, the Bible says in Acts 14, I think 23, through much tribulation you enter the kingdom of God. And there is a testing time. Testing uh, is part of it. <laughs> Help me, Father. I, that's not part of the four spiritual laws, but it's true. Um, the... Uh, it, it, <laughs> God tests. That's, I'll just leave it right there, I think. Um, there is a preparation for promotion that comes through tribulation. And, you know, God knows how much we can take. And I don't mean to be morbid, and I'm not getting you to believe for trouble. I'm just saying when difficulties come, don't be shocked. Peter said, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. You don't hear too many sermons on fiery trials. But it's good to know what they're for and that God's in charge and that he uses it to prepare us and to test us. And if we fail, he'll give us another shot at it. Uh, but Jesus is the will of God made flesh dwelling among us, anointed Filled, led by the Holy Spirit, tested by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the devil tempted him, but the Holy Spirit led him. Now, I don't, you know, I don't ask me to explain why. I, I can't. I could have 30, 40 years ago, but I can't now. I just know he does. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. My mother, <laughs> I, used, I used to try to make my mother laugh when she was going to whip me. And uh, she whipped me and laughed at the same time. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking about our naivety, I guess. Um, I don't understand God. I love God. He saved my life. I tell people I was abducted into the kingdom of God. I don't understand him. And I don't feel like it's going to get any better 
until I meet him. And um, I think that his ways are so high that they're virtually incomprehensible. And even Jesus would say things <clears throat> that indicated he emptied himself of all his knowledge. He didn't explain everything. He talked in parables, and he said, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but they didn't know them all right then. That was their inheritance. Um, I, over in Mark 4, Jesus says something. He said, there's no secrets of the kingdom, that's what he was talking about, that are hidden, that won't be revealed. What a statement. It will be revealed. But he said, if you want to hear more, hear what you, you know, listen to what you've already heard. And uh, he said, you don't, put a, you don't put a lamp under a bushel. Some churches ought to be called First Bushel Church. Said you don't put it under a bed. I'll let you make up a name for that. Um, but Jesus remains a mystery. He is God made flesh, dwelling among us. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God. But God the Father, <clears throat> God the mind that made everything that is, from the micro to the macro. A sense of mystery and awe is a good thing. When I was first baptized in spirit, and I was a Baptist pastor, and uh, I'd been pastoring seven years. <clears throat> I was 27 years old. I started when I was 20. And it didn't take me that long. In fact, the business, I never wanted to be a pastor, and I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying I wasn't cut out for it. Um, I'm a preacher's kid, and my son, who's also a preacher's kid, say all preacher's kids need therapy, and they do. Uh, I never got it. Well, God's a great therapist. But um, anyway, uh, I, I was chosen. Uh, I, I guess you, you'd call it that. And um, uh, it didn't take me any time to realize I wasn't supposed to be a preacher. I didn't have the temperament for it. Um, and, and I was very carnal, and I used to box, and, and I had a terrible temper. And uh, you, you can't deal with church members like you can business people uh, or, or people in prison or that kind of thing. You, you, uh, you have to be gentle. You have to keep them happy, and you have to keep a lot of them happy all at the same time. And I, I, I could care less about doing that. Uh, and anyway, and sometimes I would tell them, uh, we grew because I worked real hard, but I got tired of it. And I knew that if God didn't help me, I was going to blow out. I told my dad. I had a lady used to, I, this is not in my, I had a lady used to call me up. And she had a gift that not many people have. She could get her breath in the middle of the sentence. <laughs> and at the end of the sentence, she never slowed down. And she'd call me up and, and she'd go on, and she'd always had a project that was unauthorized. And, uh, and when she got, you know, I'm, I'm going, uh, uh, thinking there's going to be a break in here somewhere. I can jump in, but there wasn't. When she got through, she just hung up. She didn't say, well, it's nice talking to you. She just went click. Now, that was the days of landlines and, and cords, and so I would tie it in a knot and jerk it like that. No, I didn't, but I was thinking that. I was telling my dad, 
I want to do that with her neck. And uh, I said, if you don't help me, I'm going to do something really stupid. And, uh, and anyway, I did. I tried to change her. That was really stupid. Anyway, <laughs> uh, a different, different things. We built a building. I'll tell you, if building programs don't kill a church, it can't be killed. I mean, we, we grew and, and we worked hard and we, we, would, <laughs> we would sing, we'll, you know, uh, we'll work till Jesus come. Anybody remember that? Oh, yeah. O land of rest for thee I sigh, when will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and rest in peace at home? We'll work. The way that course ought to go is uh, the, the congregation sings, O land of rest for thee I sigh, when will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and rest in peace at home? And then the staff sings, you'll work till Jesus comes. <laughs> you, anyway, you didn't get that, but I got it. Um, but <laughs> if you, I, I was a Baptist. They, we took census, you know, and uh, took census laid across the street. Said, why don't you come join our church? He said, I watch y'all go and come. I'm not healthy enough to be a member of your church. Anyway, <laughs> that, that's an old story. When I got into the baptism in the spirit, I didn't get in because I wanted to speak in tongues. Um, I was one of these people, if I could buy shoes with or without tongues, I'd buy them without tongues. I didn't, I didn't want tongues because as a Baptist pastor, that'd kill you. And I didn't want to hang out with tongues. But I had a Baptist pastor friend got baptized in the Spirit. Anyway, I was dry and desperate, really dry. And I went to his prayer meeting. And some of you knew Ken Summerall. He's spoken here before. What got me was the Holy Spirit. I was saved. I knew God. But the presence of the Holy Spirit. I was in that place five hours. And it seemed like an hour. And somebody would sing a chorus, somebody would read a scripture, somebody would share something. And when I walked out of that room into the daylight with another pa pastor friend of mine, and I looked at my watch. I said, I've been in here just about five hours. I was almost proud that I had been in church <laughs> for five hours and didn't realize it. Because normally if I'd have been in church... I'd be shaking my watch about an hour. Anyway, um, I said, I'm coming back. And he said, I am too, and we did. And uh, the next week, uh, I was baptized in the Spirit. Um, I, I didn't mean to give my testimony, but I'm just trying to say it was the Holy Spirit. I, I, I love... A lot of things about God. I love the Word of God. I, I, I love the people of God. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes it all make sense. Um, I, I, our church is so dry. Uh, we had cobwebs in the baptistry. I couldn't get a sermon out of the Gospel of John. And the, and the next week after I got the baptism in the Spirit, people started coming far before I got to the invitation. I, I didn't tell them what happened. Women had mascara running all down their face. A lady that I just did a memorial service for about six months ago, she was one of those that came forward. Before I, I gave the invitation, 
And she said, I don't know where you've been, but I want to go there. It was just the Holy Spirit. I didn't explain the baptism in the Spirit. I didn't tell them what happened to me. I didn't know what to tell them. A, a few days after I was baptized in the Spirit, I'm talking about the mystery. Um, I was in the auditorium praying because I didn't know what to do. You know you're in a wonderful place when you don't know what to do. It's when you think you know what to do that yeah. you might do the wrong thing. You lose your sense of dependency. Now, I was a Baptist pastor. This is 1964. I've got a, a wife and a young child, just uh, a little over a year old. No, not a year old. And I figure any, bond, any Baptist pastor that gets baptized in the Spirit and speaks in tongues is going to get fired because the guy that prayed for me got fired. And, you know. Pentecostal churches were full of ex-Baptists. <laughs> a lot of Pentecostal preachers ex-Baptists. So I figured, you know. And so I'm out there in the auditorium. It's empty. It's a Tuesday or a Thursday morning. I forget which. I think it's Tuesday. In April. I always get excited in April. I was born in April. Born again in April. Called to preach in April. Baptized in the Holy Spirit in April. Here I am with you guys in April. It's wonderful. So I'm out there, and I'm, I'm wondering what, what does God want me to do? I know most of you have been in that place. But everything was on the line. My income, my family. Um, my wife's family were members of First Baptist Church, a fairly formal Baptist church. Her father was a physician, and I know they were going to have a lot of questions. And... Uh, and in the door, like uh, the door would be right over by that piano, and this would be the altar here, and I'm out there among the pews walking the aisle just talking to God, and this guy walks in, and he looks like a tramp. I'd say he was in his 60s, but he looked all of older, and uh, he looked like he'd been sleeping in his clothes, and uh, he was yay high, and had big round eyes, and he, he saw me, and he said, Brother! And right away I thought, some tramp has found our church, and um, he wants money, and I was already reaching in my pocket. And he said, Have you received the Holy Ghost? And I, it kind of caught me a little bit, but I thought, okay, he's going to use the Holy Spirit to get money. And I said, Yes. I received the Holy Spirit. I didn't say Holy Ghost. Uh, that'd be too undignified. <laughs> I said, I received the Holy Spirit. And I thought, what's he going to sing next? Well, the piano was right by the door. And the rostrum was here, and the piano was beside it, and the organ. And so he comes in, sits down by the piano. I think, what's he going to do with that piano? He started playing that piano like he made it. I mean, he used all the keys. And then he started looking up. He didn't ask me if he could play the piano or anything. He just asked me if I'd receive the Holy Ghost. Then he sat down and started playing the piano, looking up at the ceiling. And then he began to sing in the Spirit. I hadn't heard that. And I had studied Greek and Hebrew, and he's singing like he's singing in Greek. I mean, it's a very rich language. 
and he just kept going. And, and I, had this, I had this vision of a, of a big swing that came down out of heaven, and, and he was on it. And it would ebb and flow, and I felt like he could peep right over into the balcony of heaven. He was just looking up. And uh, I got on the swing with him. I went over there and I started singing in the spirit too. I never had before. Well, man, we were having a great time. I thought that heaven was coming down. And all of a sudden, I'm up here about to look over into the balcony of heaven and he stopped singing. And I felt like I'm going to fall. I mean, why didn't you quit, you know? And um, he looked at me and said, young man, he said, uh, why does God choose some people and not others? Uh, I thought, I know I've studied this somewhere. I went to two Baptist colleges and Baptist seminary. I'm sure I know the answer to that. <laughs> he said, you know, and he wouldn't let me stop and think. He said, you know, God, he said, uh, God chose Abraham. He said, there were a lot of people in the earth of the Chaldees. Why did God choose Abraham? I said, uh, uh, and he said, there were a lot of little shepherd boys in Israel. Why did God choose David? And I thought, and it was embarrassed because it was a long pause. And I said, I, I know this, you know. I said, finally, I said, why? He said, I don't know either. Bong, 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 started playing the piano. <laughs> well, I'd have been better off if he'd have answered me because I couldn't go to sleep. I'd lay down at night. And I'd think, why did God choose somebody? I felt like the guy that had a beard, and people asked him, do you sleep with it under the cover or on top of the cover? <laughs> he finally had to cut it off. He couldn't decide whether he slept. You know, I kept thinking, this is not right. Sometimes a question is more powerful than an answer. If you get too many answers, you lose your questions. Brother Hazarakis was his name an angel from God. You know, one of the greatest testimonies to me about the things of God is the prophetic side of it. Um, I, I don't know how an atheist could answer this. I, I don't know how a, an agnostic could answer I don't know how a liberal could answer it. And I studied under a few of those. I never felt they did. Um, <laughs> I wasn't a good student. I was a fundamentalist, and I tried to teach them everything I knew, but they didn't want it. Um, but I love prophecy. I, I don't mean just predicting the end of the world. Um, I mean seeing things in the spirit that haven't happened yet. Not going to happen for hundreds of years, but seeing them as though they already are. And they are already. That, that's, that's a mind bolt. That's a mind bolt. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That was real. I, I, that, that wasn't just some idea. That was real. We're, we're talking about eternity. Eternity is not a long time. It's no time at all. It's a whole different dimension. It's a dimension that can be entered through the Holy Spirit. I love the prophets. Moses said, there's coming a prophet like me. 
and the, and, and the New Testament confirms he was talking about Jesus. I heard a teacher, a, a good Greek teacher, relate Jesus to Moses. He said, Jesus is the new Moses. It's powerful. Um, I, don't, I don't know how Moses knew all that he knew. Um, it had to be by the Spirit. Um, you know, David was not only a great psalmist and a great king, he was a great prophet. And I love Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I don't know if we could handle those kind of guys today. I'm not sure. If you read the prophets, they weren't just prophesying or predicting. And prophecy is a whole lot more than predicting. It's just speaking the word of the Lord. It addresses present situations too. But I don't know if we could handle that. Um, I have a feeling that most churches couldn't. Uh, when I read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Larry Christensen, a friend of mine, a friend to some of you, I would imagine, wrote a novel on Hosea. It's one of the most powerful books I've ever read. It, it affects your devotional life. Um, the prophets, they saw something. The, Peter says that... I'll, I'll get there. I, when I think about in the Spirit, I want to go to the book of Revelation, book of Daniel. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something dangerous here. Um, of this salvation, the prophets have require, inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, the anointing who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. The prophets and angels, the prophets prophesied stuff they themselves did not understand. The word of the Lord works not by our understanding, but by the power of its word and by the Spirit. And the angels desire to look into it. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I saw. And what he saw uh, is, is still being unfolded. And it, for the most part, was already done when he saw it. But it's still being unfolded. Um, Saints, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit is not an end. It's a door. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies that went before him. And 
he, the Bible said the government would be on his shoulders. John said he would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. Uh, he, Jesus, prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit came and revolutionized that small band of people. Uh, he said, you'll be witnesses unto me and Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. I used to like to hear Derek talk about that, the uttermost parts. Um, he prophesied that his name would go into all the world. When you, when, you, when you read the Gospels, you see it wasn't just for Israel. It was for all the world. Israel was intended to be an instrument of God, and it was. But the, some estimates uh, tell us that in the first hundred years, there were a million people that came to Christ. We need to get the mission back linked up with the Spirit again in our thinking. God's intent in baptizing us in the Holy Spirit is the proclamation of His coming reign and His manifest authority in all the earth. And He will, and <clears throat> persecution and difficulty is only a precursor to the glory of God. And I believe we're going to see some persecution in this country. Um, and I'm not looking for it, I'm not trying to be negative, but I think the noose is going to get tighter on Christians and on the church. And I think that'll be a good thing. I don't want it, but I think it'll be a good thing. It'll, it'll, it'll drive a lot of us to God. We're too taken up with too many things to have time for the kingdom. And our kids have learned that a lot of things are more important than the kingdom, partly because we were too busy to impart it to them. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be condemning or, or critical or judgmental, but I'm, and I believe you, you, you agree, I think I'm singing to the choir, but this country better wake up, and the church should be the first to wake up. We need to get hold of God, we need to get in the spirit so we can see what to do. The strategy is not in the flesh, it's in the spirit. And God can take a few and do mighty things if we get in the spirit. If we, like John, or we like uh, Peter, or we like, you know, Daniel, or who, all those guys, or like Elisha, uh, they said, he, the word of the Lord is with him. And he said, bring, bring me a minstrel. Let me hear some good music. And then he began to see something that was totally impossible, and he told them what to do. The strategy is in the spirit. It's not in the flesh. I've tried that. My, my testimony is it doesn't work. Um, the, the, the anger of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. And um, I don't know if I'm getting more mature spiritually or just too tired to be carnal, but the thing is... <laughs> It doesn't work. The flesh doesn't work. We've got to get in the spirit. When I come to a meeting like this or when I, when I get together with friends, I really, and I know God's with us all the time. I, I believe that. I believe he'll never leave or forsake us. But there's sometimes his presence is manifest 
and you begin to see things. That's why most of you are here, because that happened to you. You saw something. You heard something. I, I'm not a fan of a user-friendly approach. I'm not a market-driven person. I'm not against people who are. God bless them. And, and they probably win more people to Christ than I do. Uh, so I'm not critical. Um, but I believe we need to tell people the truth about the kingdom of God, that it cost. Yes. People sign up. I, I found out that if, if, if you get people to come into church on Kool-Aid and cookies, you're going to have to keep giving them Kool-Aid and cookies. I literally did that. And I, I grew the kids. But um, somewhere you got to say what Jesus said. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the cross wasn't just murder. It was curse. There's a curse with the kingdom. There is um, there's controversy with the kingdom. <laughs> I wish it wasn't. I hate it. And I've had my share of it. But um, I don't know a way around that. I think you can be less stupid than I have been at times in my life. But still, if you tell the truth in love, I mean, you know, Jesus is the greatest example of that there ever was. And he didn't avoid. Who was it that was saying they were going to be able to avoid? You said y'all were going to avoid that kind of a problem that you had in your church. And it didn't quite work out, but you tried. And uh, listen, I, <laughs> I used to be popular. <laughs> My daddy set me up one time. My dad, when he said flesh, you could smell it. It was bad. I mean, he put no confidence in the flesh. And I was at a stage, I was secretary of the pastor's conference when I was 27 years old. And I was riding high. And um, my dad said, and <clears throat> he had attended some function with the people in our church. And our church was growing. We went from 30 to 300 just like that. And that was a lot for then. And that church was the, it was the bad church in the association out of 90. It was the one, it, was, it had a bad reputation. They had had five pastors in seven years. And we grew, and it was going great. And my dad said, he said, son, looks like your people lo love you. I, I, and, you know, I was trying to be modest. And <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he said, you be careful that they don't love your flesh. My dad always had a humble stick for me. He just always beat me with that humble <laughs> stick. And, and, you know, I found out when, when I got in the spirit, there were there was some they didn't love the spirit. They loved my flesh. Now, we can sell the kingdom of God based on our flesh, but it won't hold. The people that love God and are looking for God and are hungry for God will pay the price. And with those that pay the price, God can do more with a few than with a multitude who are serving for different motives. I'm, I'm saying this, I think, in somewhat a prophetic way. Because I believe the time will come when we'll have to consider the price. 
Now, as charismatic, some of you already considered a lot of the price. You lost some family, friends, and so forth. Maybe you got kicked out of your church. <clears throat> I think of the scripture. You know, I'm blessed. I am so blessed. <clears throat> I just thank God I wasn't where my career path was going. I am so blessed. <laughs> but I think of the scripture says, you have not yet resisted unto blood. <laughs> we have it. I wonder as I read what my friends in Nigeria are going through, in South Sudan, I wonder if I could take it like that. A friend of mine goes in and out of that part of Nigeria. I, 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 uh, I want to say one more thing. We are called to bear fruit, not just to enjoy the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy, but to bear fruit. Jesus said to his disciples, I've called you to bear fruit. John 15, it's a great text on fruit bearing. And particularly the first eight verses. He said, if you're going to bear fruit, you have to abide in me. My word has to abide in you. And he says to them, you have to abide in my love. Abide in him, he's the vine, we're the branches. I like organic growth. I like the whole organic approach. I like the relational approach to growth. We should be reaching those that we love and love us. Abide in me, you can't do anything by yourself. Abide in my word, my word is what bears fruit. The seed in the soil, not the farmer, produce the fruit. The, the farmer sows the seed and the soil, the seed and the soil. We just got to sow it. We can't worry too much about what they think about us. I'm convicted that I've got to sow more than I do. I've got to risk embarrassment. I've got to risk people not liking me saying it. But I have to. Ask them, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? It's a question everybody needs to be asked. And what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And if Jesus lives in me, and I believe he does, will he not do what he did when he walked the earth? If Jesus lives in you, will he not do what he did when he walked the earth? Jesus wasn't just pious. He didn't just go to the synagogue every Saturday. Jesus bore fruit. He demonstrated the kingdom. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I think 4.20, he said the kingdom is not in word only, but in power, in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. I'm calling on us tonight to enter the kingdom by faith in Jesus, to know the kingdom through the Holy Spirit and to bear the fruit of the kingdom that Christ commanded and commissioned. The Great Commission is not a suggestion. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. Make disciples. I probably got in much trouble over that word as 
everything else. And, you know, we all in retrospect realize we could do things better. But if everybody who had been critical of our efforts had made disciples themselves, I would have felt a lot better about it. Every Christian needs to be making disciples. That's not a suggestion. You say, well, I don't know if I can. I, I believe everybody can train somebody. That's a business principle. That's, that's, that's not even unique to the kingdom. That's not something that ought to be debated. Now, how we do it, that can be debated. But we need to do it. We need to pay attention to somebody, love them enough. Penn and Teller is a atheist comedians. Atheist. I forget which one it was. Penn and Teller's the big guy. Atheist. He said, you know, he said, if I believed what Christians believe and I don't, he said, how much would I have to hate somebody to not tell them about Jesus? He said, if I believed what they believed, and I don't. But he said, if I did, how much would I have to hate somebody not to tell them about Jesus? Wow. Well, I believe God is saying something to us about breaking out. I've dealt with some Muslims. I'm very concerned about Islam, very concerned. Our government and our leadership has a real focus on tolerance, and we should be tolerant. But when you're tolerant of a cancer, it'll kill you. And some of it is cancerous. Not all of it, but some of it. But they're aggressive. They're committed. They're worried about morals. I often wonder how a Muslim looks at this country when they view our media. Are they the great northern army? I don't know. Are they the rod of God's wrath? I don't know. I don't know. But I'll say this. We need to wake up. Christians need to wake up. If you're here and you say, Charles, I want to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit when it comes to manifesting the kingdom of God, the works of God, there are some groups that are doing a great job. But the, but the main part of the church, the, the mainstream of the church, we need to break out of the building. We need to break out of our form. We need to take the gospel to the street. We need to take it to our neighbors. We need to take it if it means embarrassment or persecution. Jesus said, Woe be to you when all men speak well of you, for so spoke they of the false prophets that went before you. I don't want to be a false prophet. I don't want to be. I want to take the punishment with trying to tell the truth. God can make up for your mistakes, but he can't make up for your inaction. You can't correct a zero. You can't. We don't want to pay the price for something we didn't do. I want to encourage you. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit express the kingdom of God through you to others. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for these friends. This is our family. This is our team. We, we face a daunting challenge 
in our time. And you've sent the Holy Spirit to us to reveal truth, to lead us into truth, to empower us to tell the truth. And we don't want to just, in rooms like this, celebrate the Holy Spirit. We, we want to obey the Holy Spirit. We want to reveal that you are our King. Forgive us, Lord, of lethargy, distraction, and a host of other things that rob us and rob those who might hear us. I pray tonight that you would give us courage. Help us to be strong and courageous, to defy the intimidators, and to say, God will deliver us, but if not, we still will not bow down to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, willing to walk in the fiery furnace, knowing that he will walk with us if we're willing. If you're here and you say, Charles, I feel God's dealing with me about expressing his will in my life in a different way, maybe uh, sharing my faith, but there's something he's saying to me that I need courage to obey, just stand up. I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray. If you say, I need some courage, God's talking to me, and I need some courage. I want to pray for you. I'll tell you, courage, Winston Churchill said, is the greatest of all virtues because it makes all other virtues possible. I love that statement. Be strong and courageous, God told Joshua. Told him that, and then three times, and then the people told him. Be strong and courageous. Anybody just say, God's telling me something. It's going to take some courage, uh, but I want to do it, and I'm, I'm asking God. That's all we can do is just ask God to help us, to give us courage. I want to pray with you right now. Anybody else? I'll wait just a moment. There's somebody else that needs to stand up. God's talking to you. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'll pray later. You obey God right now. If you can't obey God in this room, you're not going to obey him out in the world. I'll guarantee you. This is a friendly place right here. Anybody else? All right. We ready? Father, I thank you for these who stood. I don't know what you're saying to all of them. Some of them is to share their faith. Some of them is to pray for people. Uh, some of them could have a healing ministry, Lord. Some of them could be evangelistic. and Some of them need to confront a spouse. That can be tough. Some of them need to talk to a neighbor, a, a, a child, son, or daughter need to just roll up their sleeves and tell the truth. God, give us fortitude. Forgive us for being passive and puny in the face of the intimidating giants that have come against us and fleeing like Saul's army when we should have been like David running to the battle. Lord, help us now. I thank you because you said if we ask, we'll receive. And I thank you for those that are asking right now. And I know they will receive in the name of Jesus a heart of courage. Like the disciples who before the cross were fearful. But after Pentecost, they were courageous. Lord, help us to have that kind of a Pentecost. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated and thank you.